Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. Now, we're going to continue to press through our um, series called Justice, and today's message is actually going to be called Identificational Repentance and the Cross. We'll learn what that means as we go through our message today, but we're going to start with the words of God and the command of God given through the Israeli prophet Isaiah, when in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, he said this, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And in regards to injustice, we'll either understand that in the midst of all the social unrest that we've seen in the past several weeks, we'll either address things well now or deal with the unresolved consequences later. And no matter in what camp you find yourself, we must strive to get this conversation right. It's because as Dr. Tony Evans said, this is a defining moment for us as churches and citizens to decide whether we want to be one nation under God or a divided nation apart from God. If we don't answer that question right and we don't answer it quickly, we won't be much of a nation at all. So today in going through this justice series, we're gonna focus on this statement that we are agents of biblical justice when we walk in identificational repentance. To do this, we're gonna break the message down into three parts. We're going to talk first about from whence justice comes. Number two, we're going to talk about where we have been. And then number three, we're going to talk about to whom we must go. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today that continually communicates your word, uh, your heart and your thoughts about not only our times, but what we're to do in the midst of them. Today, God, we're asking that you would reveal to us your heart for identificational repentance, that we might align ourselves properly with you and then be a part of the solution to biblical justice in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start with from whence justice comes. The source that allows us to develop a heart for true justice is God's word. And the very idea of justice points us to a God who is the standard for that justice. Now, we're saying this it may seem obvious, but we're saying this because we must know that and not everyone rallying behind the idea of justice during our present social unrest has God as their motivating source. And you might say to yourself, well, it's just because it's an obvious thing. Well, why is it an obvious thing? Well, the Apostle Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 2. He says, For all who have sinned without the law, meaning the law of God that he gives us for governing our lives, found in his word. He said, All who sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, meaning those who are religious or had the word of God um, as an exposure in their upbringing, will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the, that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, what this practically means is that all men and women have God's law written on their hearts whether they choose to obey it or not. That means God's left a testimony for justice and a thirst for justice on every man and woman's heart, whether or not they choose to obey it. And it also means that searching for true, lasting justice without an acknowledgement of God is ideologically problematic in at least two ways. The first way that is problematic is that it's philosophically inconsistent. The second way that is problematic is that it lacks a historic longevity in providing permanent solutions to societal injustices. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, number one, philosophically, it's inconsistent because as C.S. Lewis noted, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? And what C.S. Lewis came to understand in his book, Mere Christianity, was that there has to be an un created standard of justice to which we're appealing, and that standard is God himself. And if God does exist, we must look to him for the standard of exacting that justice. Now, looking for justice number two without God is historically problematic because within all of the advancement of education and technology in the 20th century, we still found it to be one of the most bloody in recorded human history. This was especially true in nations that found themselves intentionally separating themselves from God. As Timothy Keller notes in his book, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, the 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes of human history, that the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. As another commentator observed, from Stalin to Mao to Pol Pot, a forced lack of religion has caused innumerable acts of violence, murder, and subjugation of fellow humans. So we see that when you remove God from the situation, it's actually not helping lead to justice, but because of the sin in humanity's heart, it's actually inviting and causing injustice within the nations we live to rise to the surface. Now, on the contrary, when people were not merely nominally Christian, but instead sought true biblical justice, tremendous societal change took place. 
For example, Christian social reformers like British abolitionist William Wilberforce and American civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. were advocating for justice while appealing for people to become more, not less, Christian. <clears throat> this was actually their answer to injustice. As Martin Luther King Jr. said in his letter from the Birmingham jail, wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide, and boy, don't we need that um, today, and gladiatorial contest. Things are different now, though. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often vocal sanction of things as they are. Now, this shouldn't be the case. And men of God like Wilberforce and King appealed to the Bible, where God often spoke of the abuse or the shortcomings of religion as men practiced it. The scripture contained within it God's mechanism for self-correction, even when the church lost its focus and went astray. I recommend Dr. Timothy Keller's classic read, The Reason for God, which gives a fantastic historic um, discussion around this issue. And you can also read Dr. King's Nobel Prize winning Why We Can't Wait to understand much of the biblical impetus behind the civil rights movement of the 20th century. And this can be a biblical inspiration to us today. Yet to even be moved to engage in ongoing acts of justice requires an understanding of the biblical concept of identificational repentance. And this reminds us of the importance of where we have been so that in Christ we can get to where we need to go. Now, the posture that allows you to enter into God's heart for biblical injustice is identificational repentance. Proverbs 14 verse 34 uh, begins to illuminate it this way. He says it this way, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. People meaning plural, not just an individual, but people being the plurality of individuals. And when we think about the issue of justice, we're all quick to want to get defensive and want to absolve ourselves of any sin, especially when in our present social unrest, we're talking about issues of uh, racism or bigotry or systemic injustices. Nobody wants to be associated with those things. However, we've all fallen short at some point, And the sooner we can embrace that, the sooner we can begin helping one another get to a better place. Now, when you look at the Proverbs scripture above, what we see is whether you feel innocent or not in regards to 
injustice or racism or things like bigotries as we've been talking about it in our present series. God says that he looks at us not only individually, but also as a people or in uh, the words of the proverb, uh, also as a nation. And as a nation, it is clear that many ungodly injustices abound and not just the ones that have been highlighted in the past several weeks. John Perkins, who was again a reformer for biblical truth and biblical reconciliation, actually said it this way. Today, I worry that we've forgotten our past and remain in denial about many of the challenges we face in the present. There's a tendency to want to gloss over injustices for the sake of unity. However, any authentic attempt to pursue unity and reconciliation must start with truth. The journey to healing actually begins with an awakening. And so when speaking about biblical justice, some people have trouble conceptualizing the idea of systemic inequalities that are being seen in our communities around us. Yet we need to have a grasp on such injustices to obey the command given by Isaiah at the beginning of the message to seek justice and correct oppression. As followers of Christ, we are to lead in these challenging environments when it comes to tackling difficult issues regarding justice. Now, this is also what another Israeli prophet named Micah said, where in Micah 6.8, God said, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And I think that those last two points about uh, loving kindness and also walking humbly with our God will lead us into the necessary rules of engagement as we, as Christians, look to lead during these challenging and tumultuous times. Those two rules of engagement are, number one, this, to lead both the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 15.1 gives us an example of how we can do this, that when we're talking about difficult issues, moving to the idea of identificational repentance, he says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And in Proverbs 15, 4, he says, a gentle tongue is actually a tree of life, can help make progress in things and bear good fruit, but a per- but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And it can actually break the spirit of those who are actually turning from error to trying to do right if we're harsh with them. But he also, the, the, the second rule of engagement that I think we need to embrace whenever we're trying to move to an understanding of identificational repentance and communicate about difficult issues is we need to lead with information and facts and not just emotions. Proverbs 15.2 exhorted us this way when he said, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pours out folly. Proverbs 25.15 says, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue 
will break a bone. So we need information, we need facts to help educate people about where we've been and where we've come from to bring us to the boiling point where we are today, and then also have God's Word communicated with the fruit of the Holy Spirit to actually bring people to a place of God's solutions, God's way. Now, if... As a part of your starter kit, we want to encourage you, along with some of the resources we've already given you, we want to encourage everyone to expose themselves to a condensed history of the ethnic economic disparities within our country by watching a link at a later time provided right there embedded on our outline. It's shared by none other than Phil Vischer, one of the co-creators of VeggieTales, who actually has a heart for God and true biblical justice. Now, if we do that, then it, it arms us with the love of God and also the information that can educate people as to the oppression and the injustices that need to be addressed so that God's word and his ways can actually be applied to the land in which we live. And what we need, need to understand is that for all of us, this has been an exposing time for the Lord to reveal what's in our hearts so that he can deal with it. And what we've seen is that just because we have friends, family members, or even co-workers of a different ethnicity, it doesn't mean that we're untouched by the sin that surrounds us. Our environments, they, for better or worse, they really do shape us. And our media, whether for better or worse, affects us. Our limited experiences give us lenses through which we see the world around us. And the algorithms on our social feeds are literally traps that can keep us entrenched in homogenous thinking if we're not careful. Our perspectives can be both skewed and limited by that on which we are feeding. And that literally is everybody. That's you. That's me, and that's everybody to whom we're tempted to point fingers during this time. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do surgery, even understanding how our family history has affected our hearts. Now, if we do this well, we'll come into a biblical mindset that was expressed through a man of God named Ezra in Ezra chapter 9, verses 3 through 11. This was a man of God who, after as Israel's exile because of their sin into foreign lands, they were by the kindness of God being brought back to a place where they could re-inhabit the nation of Israel, the land of Israel. But as soon as they got there, according to God's grace and his kindness, they went back because of the sin that was in their hearts to the very things that God had to judge them for and sent them into exile in the first place. And how often is that our case, right? How often is that the things that um, pop up in the midst of times like now that actually show us not only what was in our hearts, but what we've been affected by, by generations of ideologies that were not of God or sin that was passed down to us from our families or our parents that we had no idea was there until we're in the hot seat or things that the pressures of societal unrest bring them to the surface. And in Isaiah I'm sorry, in Ezra chapter 9, we see what we're to do about it when sin is exposed. Whether it be sin that we've committed ourselves 
or sin that we see represented in the land around us. Either way, God tells us the answer is identificational repentance so that we can move to a better day. And in Ezra chapter 9, verse 3, Ezra starts by talking, saying this, As soon as I heard this, meaning the sin that the Israelites had committed, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithfulness, faithlessness rather, of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities, not just everybody else's, but our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt, and for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O oh our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land of impure, impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from one end with their uncleanness to the other end. O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. And in verse 15, he says, Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. And this is the picture of identificational repentance. And about this topic, I want us to at least notice two things in the scripture, starting first in Ezra chapter nine, verse eight. Ezra mentions that for a brief moment, favor has been shown. And before God, the times that we are in, even in this present social unrest, they are not simply meant by God for upheaval, but for revival. You heard that term over and over again in Ezra saying, revival is coming. Revive us, O God. Even as we identificationally repent on behalf of the sin of the land, revive us. And we are to be as fully engaged as ever in making disciples of Jesus who know the Lord and walk 
in his ways through this time and through these issues that we're tackling. Number two, you need to see that it is interesting in these scriptures that Ezra is repenting on behalf of things that he did not personally do. He was saying, I'm appalled by the sin of the people who surround me, but God, I'm asking for you to forgive us. That's literally identificational repentance, saying I'm not separate or unaffected by the sin that's going on around me. I know that I'm guilty too, and I am also, though I may not have done what they've done, I'm also repenting of the sin in my land. And really, I used to not understand the subconscious realities of this, but now I do. That the power of identificational repentance is that you make sure that whatever was passed down through word, sentiment, or deed, if it's sin before God, it stops with you. If it's injustice before God, it stops with you. If it's any type of discrimination, it stops with you and with me. And understanding identificational repentance takes out the need for defensiveness. It assumes the gospel truth that everyone has sinned in some manner. Its chief aim is to humble us before God so that we can deal with sin in our land and actually be a part of the solution. It is what Jesus Christ, the only sinless one ever to walk the planet, modeled for us at the cross. And according to Ezra, to engage in biblical identificational repentance, we need to posture ourselves in at least four ways. Number one, we need to identify the sin. That's what Ezra did when he said he was appalled that was what was going on in his land. We are also clearly able to identify the sin of injustice that's going on in our land. Number two, we need to acknowledge how the sin has affected our families and our land up to this point. Whether or not we're practicing that sin now, how has it affected our land? Ezra was talking about the sin of his, not only the present people, but he said our fathers had participated in this sin. It sent them into exile, and now we're repeating the same things as a nation today. Number three, we need to renounce the sin as an offense to God. And then number four, we need to commit to actively turning away from the sin to see God heal our land. This is why Andy Stanley, who's a pastor down in the uh, Georgia region, actually said this, that non-racism is not good enough. It's not just good enough that when somebody asks you about this issue to say, I'm not a racist, but instead followers of Jesus must be anti-racist, which is an actual active pursuit to uproot the oppression in our land and actually deal with the injustices. Well, where does Pastor Andy or anyone else actually get thoughts like these? Well, it's only reflecting what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, when talking about a godly repentance, that which should be the heart of identificational repentance. He said this, For even if I made you grieve with my letter... I do not regret it, though if I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved 
into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the manner in the matter and so that's the type of heart that we want to display when we're identifying with the sin in our land and repenting with a godly repentance having an earnestness indignation towards the sin and zeal to see it dealt with and actually biblical justice to come but what we must do in the midst of having this heart is also guard ourselves against bitterness as a response to the evil we see in our days, which can literally try to eat us alive. And instead, we must ultimately turn to our Savior who can actually save us not only from our own sins, but also the sins in our land. And the person that allows you to enter into God's solution for biblical justice is Jesus Christ. To have a heart, though, for biblical justice and truly understand identification or repentance, you can look to Christ, but also Christ, not just in his earthly ministry, but also Christ at the cross. And it's here that both injustice and justice meet. There, there was justice in the fact that there was a price that was paid for the sin that humanity committed against God by breaking his holy laws. But there was injustice in the fact that Christ, the only sinless one, actually died for the sins committed by other people. He can therefore say that justice must be served while also being able to comfort those who suffer at the hands of injustice. So what is Christ's solution? It is that we should focus our hope for justice in the present and coming kingdom of God. And we should look to usher in both. It means that the kingdom of God is both a now and a not yet kingdom. It has come through the first advent of Jesus Christ, but won't be fully realized until his return. And to put our hope in anything else is quite frankly unbiblical and will lead to both disappointment and disillusionment. Because as we've talked about in previous messages, the sin in people's hearts who are unregenerated by God's word and the Holy Spirit will continue in that sin until they meet and come and bow before him. And so to move forward, there must be redemptive justice, but to make progress, there must also be reconciliatory forgiveness. And we serve a God of great grace. This is what Paul reminded us of in Ephesians 2 when he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, so not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And because God's a God of great grace, he gives us in Christ and the cross what we don't deserve. And an opportunity for forgiveness 
in redemption. And we are called to do that for one another, no matter where we found ourselves during this turbulent time. This is why we can take encouragement from a recent blog by author and pastor Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And he said in our discussions of coming to uh, deal with the biblical justice needed in our land and also to meet Christ in the midst of it, we need to do this, that to make it through extraordinary crisis of a pandemic. That's right. We're still trying to get through a pandemic and social unrest. You need to treat yourself and other people the way God treats you with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Grace means that God always gives you what you need, not what you deserve. If you got what you deserved, you wouldn't even be here. And God gives us even more grace. As the scripture says, God is against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, everybody's having a tough time right now. And to maintain your emotional health, you need to cut yourself some slack and do the same for others. Everybody's feeling the stress, particularly the millions of people who are out of work and concerned about the future, maybe even about how they will make it to the next day. So we need to be kind, be gentle, and even the hardest people to love are fighting some kind of battle right now and need your grace. This will often, though, take a lot of humility. With tensions high, it's easier right now to return wrong for wrong, give a sharp answer, withhold the benefit of the doubt, and speak before listening. But your neighbor needs your grace. Your children need your grace. The person you disagree with politically needs your grace. The world is on the defense and there is nothing that will disarm people more than being given unexpected grace. God has given you great grace, so we need to go and extend that grace to others so that they can get a glimpse of what Jesus has done for them. So at some point, this is the reality. When we come to Jesus, we understand at some point we've all been guilty of wicked mentalities, attitudes, and actions. And this means that the only way that will be washed and made clean is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us at the cross. Yet Jesus is the giver of grace to anyone who would come to him in repentance and faith for the forgiveness of their sins. This means the sin of racism. This also means the sins of drunkenness and sexual immorality. It includes the sins of slander, hatred, murder, and pride. It includes anything that the Bible talks about and missing the mark of God. Let's embrace this true source of justice that we find in God's word today and understanding our times Let's look to God for his justice through identificational repentance. Because when we do so, may we find not only healing in our hearts, but the healing that our land so desperately needs in Jesus Christ. Because through identificational repentance and through looking to Jesus at the cross, he'll do surgery in our hearts that will spill over into our relationship with others and the systems in which we find ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, <clears throat> if you hear this message and you say, you know what, 
I am tired. I'm just tired, quite frankly, of not only pointing my fingers at other people, but living as one who is guilty before God. I know that I've broken his law. Whether I grew up in the church or not, I know that I've broken the law that he's written upon my heart, and I know when I've done wrong, and if I had to stand before God, I know I deserve death and hell. But I don't want it, and I wanna be made right with God today. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? God Almighty, I admit to you today that I've been a rebel and I know that I do deserve death and hell because of my sin. And I'm asking you today that you would forgive me my sin. I say that I believe that Jesus lived that perfect life for me that I should have lived, died on the cross, that sacrificial death that I should have died, and three days later was raised from the dead so I could have forgiveness of sins and new life in you. Today, I say you are my Lord. I turn away from my self-sufficiency. I turn away from my own rebellious living. And I say, you're in charge. Help me to love you and love others, even as you've loved us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the good news is, is that if you prayed that prayer for the first time, God says that you are a new creation. And so I want you to join me at secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find resources and also next steps about how to start on this new walk with God. And I want to invite you to do that in the midst of a multi-ethnic God-fearing community in our church. There in our community groups, we can discuss what it means to live out this biblical justice, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our God. Let's do that together. So please go to our website and fill out that card right now. And if you didn't pray that prayer, but just through identification or repentance, want to along with me cry out to God for healing on our land. Let's end together in this prayer today. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us an example in your word where you can, we can identify not only with the sin of our day, but also the sins of our fathers and all that shaped us and affected us up to this point, bringing us to this boiling point that we see in front of us today. And God, we're asking you to forgive us our sins, not just everybody else's sins, but our sins, those that our families have done and those that we've continued to perpetuate through our own choices and living. God, we're praying that you would bring us to a place of cleanness. You would wash our hearts. You would cleanse our minds and you would show us how to walk out the biblical justice that you have us to walk in today in Jesus name. Amen. Now let's go back into worship now and honor the one who can literally heal our land. Not only as we identify with the sin of our land, but also repent of it on behalf of our land, looking to Jesus and his salvation. That we are a people who are committed to living in the grace the fear and the knowledge of God. We invite you to do that again with us throughout the week together in our community group. So please go to our website and find that one that you can join today. And then otherwise, let's go in the grace, the love and the mercy of God extended towards others, even as we look to bring biblical justice in our land. God bless you. We'll see you this week in our community groups and next week for our Sunday service. Please do bring a friend and we'll see you then. God bless you.